3: There, Welcome to episode number 57 of Love That Album Podcast, the first episode for 2014. Hope uh, that all you people out there have had an enjoyable holiday season, no matter which side of the planet you're on. I know in the Northern Hemisphere, you people have been freezing your backsides off, and down here we've been boiling our bums off. Uh, But this is not a weather discussion podcast, it's a music discussion podcast. My name is Morris. And, uh, if you've been listening to the show before, welcome back. If this is your first time, welcome on board. Hope you enjoy it. And I'm very excited. I know I say that a lot, but I really am because I'm joined by a newcomer. I always like to have, you know, people to discuss albums with me on this show. And I've got a first timer, though hopefully not last timer for uh, this episode. I am joined by one half of The Gentleman, a.k.a. The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, Mr. Will Smith from Canada. Good morning to you, Will.
4: Thank you, Morris. Good evening to you. It's it's really a pleasure and honor to be here. Uh, I was thrilled you asked me, and it certainly won't be the last time.
5: Oh, uh, as we all
4: know, scheduling
3: can be can be a bear, but uh, we'll we'll wrestle that bear. The time not to mention, not to mention those damn international datelines. So it's it's <laughs> uh, 20 past 10 Saturday night, just a couple of hours before Australia Day, and it's um, 20 past six in the morning for you on uh, Saturday. So as I like to say to my international guests, I have seen your future. I'd like to. I'd like to get someone from New Zealand on because they're two hours ahead of us. So I'd like them to say to me, "I have seen your future." But <laughs> yeah, tell me about it,
4: man. I'm glad I don't record with someone from New Zealand on a regular basis. That would be a logistical nightmare.
3: Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, actually, I've got. Uh, I've got a very, very close friend who um, who lives just outside of Christchurch. In uh, New Zealand, and I've been trying to talk to him for the longest time. He, what this man does not know about Elvis Costello is not worth knowing, but mm. I can't seem to convince him to come on. He's very articulate and, you know, a wealth of information, but he sort of feels that no, the podcast is not his place for uh, conversation. So I, I respect that, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that someone else from New Zealand will step up to the plate. That'd be cool. But yeah, anyway. For, for the one or two listeners out there who don't know who you are, and I'm sure that you know, a large chunk of the 10 or so listeners that I have will know who you are, but, Will, for the <laughs> few who don't, please explain The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema.
4: Absolutely. Um, it's a show that began, I would imagine, around six years ago uh, with my my partner in crime, uh, Sammy. He's in Kentucky, and, and as you said, more am in mean, Canada, and... Um, being someone who had a lot of time at work on my hands, not always wanting to listen to music—as blasphemous as that sounds on a music show—I <laughs> um, wanted to indulge in in sort of listening to film conversation, and and I stumbled onto podcasts, and I discovered a few podcasts along the way, and I just felt like there was a lot of uh, a lot of gaps in what was being discussed on podcasts, and my partner felt the same way. We were part of a message board, and. We both had a mutual affection for sort of Charles Bronson and tough guy cinema of the '70s and samurai films and spaghetti westerns, and and from there, and '80s, you know, '80s direct to video stuff, and um, we decided to to have a voice for those kinds of films, and and not just those kind of films, because we both feel that or felt, and, and always feel, thankfully, it's changed now, but um, and not because of us, certainly, but because of a large group of passionate people um, that. A lot of film was underrepresented, and and you know we didn't want to just be as myopic to think that we were only going to cover action films. We wanted to cover art house films from Belgium and direct cable, uh, Andrew Stevens, Shannon Tweed films, if we saw fit. <laughs> sort of everything under the umbrella of midnight cinema. That is to say, things that didn't play in the market, uh, the multiplexes
3: uh, week in and week out. And uh, so this is like now five years or something like that.
4: It's yeah, it's, we're coming up on six in September. It, it's really flown by. It's it's hard to believe that when we began, I, I didn't have any children. And the episode seven was when my my son, my my oldest son of two sons, was born. And it's uh it's astounding how quickly time goes. I don't have to tell
3: you that, certainly. It, it seems to get faster, go faster the older I get. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I think in about in about a month, my son Max turns sixteen, and he's threatening to go for his uh, driver's learning. Permit, and, and I'm thinking, hang on, you're, you were just born yesterday. How did that happen? But, yeah. Oh, dearie me, I'm going to get all teary-eyed and sentimental, which is not a good thing on a podcast because it, you know, it it'll create <laughs> gaps there. But uh, anyway, so no, well, yeah, the GG TMC was uh, you know, has certainly been a big part of my uh, uh, weekly listening uh, podcast pleasure. I remember sort of it, it went about in a chain for me because I first came about to podcasts through the mondo movie podcast mondo uh, the, well, the, the, um, yeah. the the horror podcast in England uh, right and, that was my first one too, actually well there you go and um, they split up for a time or they, they had other projects to, to go on so I thought what am I going to do now I didn't it didn't occur to me before that that there are other podcasts out there and then I discovered um, you know while doing a search I discovered our uh, mutual friend Terry Frost a uh, wonderful podcast, Paleo wonderful Cinema. Cinema. And, and every week he had feedback from this strange character, Dr. Zom. Um, <laughs> and then I heard Dr. Zom had his own podcast, Silver and Gold, starting. So listen to that. And then through there, you know, the chain, it was like a domino effect and uh, found my way to you guys. So we've had, uh, you know, a, a lot of great listening pleasure. And, and I, I should make this known out there. You know, I guess there's a basically you know, a few months ago, uh, Will was very, very kind to allow me to indulge my love of film as well in doing a, a musical film discussion with, uh, another you know, lovely chap who I met on the, uh, Facebook board for the GGTMC, uh, Rodrigo Obon. We both had this, uh, passion for jazz and, uh, along with him and, um, love that album and, and now see here podcast regular, uh, Tim Merrill. We discussed, uh, a couple of great jazz films, uh, Bird, and around midnight, and you know that was just you know, a thrill to be able to do that under the uh, GG TMC banner. So um, you know we've been uh, having this connection for a while now, so it's uh, quite cool. But I'm, I'm really excited for you to uh, be part of. Uh, I love that album officially. Oh, likewise. Mm. So I, I guess at this stage we should probably say what it is that we're going to be discussing. Well, sort of when we discuss the albums, probably we'll say how we came across these. But we're going to be talking about an album from a. Uh, A British uh, fellow of Ugandan descent, Mr. Michael Kiwanuka, and his album, I think now from 2012, called Home Again. And an album that you just put me onto about two months ago, uh, your suggestion from uh, uh, a fellow Canuck, I believe, uh, residing in Vancouver nowadays, called uh, Mac I think Montreal,
4: actually. He's, he's, He's in Montreal, so...
3: Okay. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, we got a lot to say. And his, uh, album of last year, too. And, uh, only today, I discovered, uh, actually, before you put that post up, I, I discovered a few hours ago that he's got a new album coming out in, uh, in April. So, um, we'll, uh, discuss a little bit about that too, no doubt. Uh, but, yep. So, uh, Home Again by Michael Kuwanuka and Two by Mac DeMarco. And also, um, another show regular, Mr. Eric Reanimator Peterson, has, is returning for 2014 with his wonderful segment, An Album I Love. And he's going to be talking about an R&B singer called Janelle Monae. I'm sure no relation to Count de Monet. Uh <laughs> But anyway, so he's talking about uh, an album called The Arch Android, which he says is a concept album based on uh, Metropolis, the film Metropolis. So keeping things cinematic here at Love That Album this time around. Uh, so uh, that'll be on a little bit later on in the show so stick around well it's a podcast so no doubt you will stick around that'll be a lovely thing but uh, I think what we'll do is we'll have a quick break and then we'll come back after this podcast promo to uh, discuss Michael Kuanuka's album Home Again you're listening to Love That Album episode 57 with Will in Toronto and Morris here in Melbourne we'll be back shortly
5: Run, GGTMC live for
0: you Fresh,
5: yeah.
0: Big Willie and the Samurai are at your service, breaking films down and turning them around, giving recommendations that are always on point. Visit ggtmc.com for more information. The gentleman's guide to midnight cinema, bringing class to the trash since 1977. Taxes and trick or treat radio every Friday morning.
4: This is one of the most convoluted movies I've ever seen in my life.
0: I'm fucking trying, man. Hi, hi, hi. Oh yeah. Hey, hey, hey. Oh yeah. It's like you <laughs> took a shit on a pile of shit.
4: But you shit on him right. for liking what he yeah, likes. Yeah, well, it's my job. This podcast is now banned in Germany. <laughs>
6: Giovanni Lombardo Shut
3: up! I call bullshit! I demand someone to bring me the face of Lindsay Lohan. If I had genitals, I would definitely bang her. Oh, wait, is she a great big fan person?
1: You just hit the jackpot. This is a weird movie, huh? It had action, it had suspense, it had great characters, it had great acting.
0: I'm going to strangle you with my jockey shorts.
1: I don't like mobster movies.
0: All right, well, here's my take. You're a sick fuck. Thank you. Now shut the fuck up and let me talk. Have you ever seen 2001? The okay. Box, right? The Box and the Monkeys. Available on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Trick or Treat Radio dot there,
6: Here I am in Music City. It's my time. just this song it doesn't fit me now i'm losing my mind
3: if only they told me welcome back you're all listening to episode 57 of love that album and we're going to start off uh the first of our two albums for this show is michael kiwanuka's album called home again now uh i I guess i like to keep these uh shows in the last few episodes we've done we've done uh two artists per show somewhat thematically linked and i guess the loose link that i've made for uh this show is two songwriters who i'm looking forward to see what they do next that sounds i guess a little bit broad but they are you know still fairly young and um i I think michael kuanook i'm not sure might be only like 24 25 or something like that and and mcdemarco's similar age so hopefully they've both got long careers ahead of them and they've both sort of shot out the gates with uh well spoiler alert really great albums (laughs) but um (laughs) but um yeah i'll be really interested because i I guess i don't know do you sort of find well that you've listened to any number of artists who've come out with like a really great album to start off with and sort of went a little bit helpless for album number two. At times,
4: you know, it's that that inevitable thing you hear about um, in a myriad of disciplines, you know, the sophomore slump. Mm. It even gets into sports sometimes. Someone has a a wonderful rookie year, and then the sophomore slump kicks in. But, yeah, it's it's always, and even with film, it's not as uh, prevalent in film, but it's that thing of Sometimes when someone makes their first album, there's there's so much that they've had on their chest and their hearts for, you know, years, right. potentially, and they're trying to put everything into that album. Just like when you see a first, I guess in a first film, and apologies if I keep referring to film uh, yeah, in regards do. to this, but it's it's one of those things where they're trying to get every sort of influence and nod and passion uh, into that album, or, yeah, in this case, album. Um, so sometimes how much gas they have left in the tank by the time they get to album two but I think that um, as you were saying we have two young artists who um, clearly are talented uh, musically they, they can write uh, they play instruments, they have a, a pretty interesting way of having their albums arranged so I, I'm hoping
3: as you would said that uh, this is the start of something good for both of them. The Mac DeMarco album which we'll get to later was recommended to me by you but this first one was recommended to by our uh, mutually great friend Mr Tim Merrill uh and uh so home again uh is um you know uh, Michael Kuanuka is uh, as i said British of Ugandan heritage and uh, i was just really thrilled that uh, Tim passed this on to me we uh, we tend to have you know like a, a weekly Skype discussion and um he was saying to me sometime last year no, well no, two thousand twelve, it's we're in two thousand fourteen, aren't we? Uh he, he said to me sometime in two thousand twelve, uh, man, there's this great soul singer I just know you're gonna love. And you know, he, he, I can't remember what the song that he sent me a link to on YouTube was, but I was absolutely spellbound. And I I know funnily enough though that I've seen a few reviews online. And, you know, I I was really surprised to find that the praise that I had for him was not universal, but he had his share of detractors. We'll sort of get into more why some of that was, but I think a lot of people are in great favor of him. I want to ask, where was your first... Uh, where did you first gain your attention to uh, to Michael? Because I know you put on a post on Facebook saying that you were, you know, it was a Michael Kiwanuka type of Sunday afternoon, and that's why I sort of jumped in it. All right, that's the show, that's the album we're going to discuss. But where, where did you first hear about Michael Kiwanuka? Yeah, I um in this day and age,
4: uh, and I again outside of film, I pretend to refer to sports and and my my family. It seems to be the things that tend to dictate a lot of uh, time uh, that I have. Um, I don't have as much time as I used to to indulge in a lot of things I love, music being one of them. And uh, what I've done is I've I've turned to some really, I found some really great music blogs to kind of navigate the waters in terms of new music or older music. And I think I want to say, if I may take about just a quick moment to, to get on a soapbox here and proclaim my love for this age we're in, in terms of being able to be exposed to things the world over. Some people lament the loss of days gone by. I think it's, it's purely a silly nostalgic thing because um, I, I can get online and I can, I can find a, a blog that, that caters to African mixtapes of, mm-hmm. of sort of disco and funk and, and music um, uh, from that region of the world. Or I can find stuff that, that's very specific to a, a taste I'm looking for, a taste I didn't even know I was looking for. Um. So I really think we're in a, a beautiful, wonderful age to be able to consume music. And I'll talk about this later with uh, Eric Reanimator's piece and how that, um, I think, shapes a lot of artists today. But I had discovered Michael through one of, I think, the best music blogs going, Aquarium Drunkard.
3: Okay. and I'll uh, make a note of that one.
4: Wonderful. It is wonderful. It is very eclectic. I mean, he'll have everything from very obscure, dusty Springfield B-sides to <laughs> newer music like Michael Kiwanuka. and. I knew just from the album cover; uh, it, it certainly evokes uh, a time. It, it looks almost like a like a more pensive version of the cover of Marvin Gaye's seminal album "What's Going On." Right, right. Um, a little bit moodier, a little darker in colors. It's 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 uh, in like a brown cover. But I discovered him through that, and um, around, probably around the same time you did in in 2012. And I've come back to him several times since, and I've been. Uh, Thankful for, him. And yeah, I was kind of surprised to see there were a few detractors. Thankfully, yeah, as you'd said, praise is much more uh, positive um, because he's certainly well deserving of it. But that's how I'd come to him. I, I you know, he posted some stuff on there, and and I, I knew it was for me because I, my background, for what it's worth, musically, uh, does reside in in soul and R and B and funk and sort of rock and roll. Like I didn't really grow up in a household with uh, a lot of folk. Um, you know Paul Simon and Cat Stevens and and um, uh, you know Neil Young. All this stuff wasn't really in my my day to day. It was it was Motown. It was Stax right. records. It was Elvis, Johnny Cash, and, and that's the stuff that as I've gotten older, I've kind of branched out from there and. I guess I'm I'm uh, taking a segue here, but um, that, no, actually, that's really I'm, I'm, feeling, how I I'm found. feeling
3: embarrassed that I didn't actually ask you in the first segment. There was should have been one of the first things I asked you was, uh, you know, what your uh, original music loves were. So, no, please, I'm 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 really interested to know. This is great.
4: Oh, right, right, yeah. It was it was one of those things. My parents um, were big into Sam Cooke and Marvin Gaye and Elvis and. Nice. Um, you know, all that stuff, uh, really. I mean, I would not call my parents audiophiles. It was more, it was on the radio and we'd listen to it. And they had some they had a, quite an album collection, it should be said. Um, you know, a lot of British rock. They grew up in that time. Um, but uh, my tastes tend to lean more towards uh, you know, the soul side of things. My mother, even, even well, no, i got to give credit to both. I mean, James Brown was a big thing. You know, Otis, like I said, Otis Redding and... Um, it just it kind of blew me away and, and again because of the age we're in now I've been able to branch out and and sort of get into uh, jazz and like I said, get it, trying to dabble my uh, toe into the waters of um uh african kind of funk and soul and and uh, living in toronto it being a very much a multicultural country uh, getting into reggae and old obviously older reggae and and um yeah, not to say there wasn't uh, rock, and, uh, rock and roll proper, uh, stones, and again, but it tended to be more of the stuff like Zeppelin, so stuff that was influenced by a lot of the uh, the African-American musicians of the, the 40s and 50s, you know, your, your Chuck Berry's and what have mm. you. Well, i got to give it up to Stevie Wonder. Uh, <laughs> he's he's prob- probably my favorite all time. So
3: Yeah, interesting. You mentioned Stevie Wonder. I, re- I recently went and bought this fantastic four CD uh, box set of uh, Donny Hathaway and... I'd always thought that Donny Hathaway uh, sounded a lot like early 70s Stevie Wonder. And then I read in the booklet inside the box set that Stevie Wonder was a big fan and modeled himself after Donny Hathaway's vocal delivery. I always thought it would have been the other way around, but there you go.
4: Yeah, Donnie, I think it preceded him, you know, roughly in terms of his career getting big, uh, maybe five, six, seven years. And he was a little, I think he was a little, you know, obviously a little bit older than Stevie. Stevie had been performing since he was very young, Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah, but I mean, Stevie's influenced so many, so many uh, singers um, in this day and age. I mean, you, you're seeing that so much nowadays with sort of throwback yeah. artists, which I can be a bit wary of, truth be told. Like, a lot of sort of neo soul and what have you, which you know, ties into Mr. Kiwanuka. A lot of it I'm very wary of because right. I feel like a lot of it's this sort of silly mini pops dress up. Um, let's put on our seventies corduroy suit and and sound like Marvin or sound like Stevie and um, Well
3: okay. You know, but let's, but it, let's let's bring this up. because this is the first place I was gonna go to. I was gonna say like there are several factors at work on the album. Uh, and, you know, as you've gone and said, you know, in recent years, there's been a variety of bands or artists who've gone, you know, deliberately retro, uh, in, say, in the soul vein. So, you know, the the big one that comes to mind for me is, uh, Sharon Jones and the Dap Kings or really anyone on the Dap Tone label. Uh, you know, before that, tragically, you know, Amy Winehouse. But, you know, I, I guess, you know, but even before the soul revival, There'd always been bands that had been deliberately paying their respects to, uh, you know, the rock and roll or swing eras, you know, like the Stray Cats, uh, the Royal Crown Review. Brian Setzer um, Orchestra. Sure. Brian Setzer Orchestra, and um, I, I guess maybe more in a cro- rock soul cross vein, another great band that Tim Merrill put me onto called Vintage Trouble, um, and right. they absolutely knocked me out. They were fantastic I mean, it, certainly artists like that, I think it's more of a desire to recreate the great sounds that they'd heard in their parents' record collections rather than any desire to look hip. I, I, I've never doubted any of those people's, uh, sincerity. Uh, and, and really could also sort of like look at it and say that, you know, outside of the rock and roll vein, you know, the, the more rootsy Americana style of artists have never gone away. They've never, there's never had to be a revival because country music has always been there. It's not like so and so is going to be the new Johnny Cash or, or the new June Carter Cash, because you know a lot of that sort of I guess what they now call alt country people have always been right I was at, gonna, at that temple. I was going to
4: say that. Yeah, absolutely. There's been a very distinct. Uh, I, I don't want to say evolution because for me it's been of a it's been a bit backwards in terms of it's it's melded. I think a little bit. It's married into sort of pop music, as it were, and. Um, I think that distinction. But you're seeing that with a lot of genres, I guess, with lines being crossed and being blurred. And yeah, I, I certainly understand what you're saying as far as some artists have a, a legitimately uh, good intent to, um, or are inspired by their parents' record collection. I feel right. like some, though, I think to me it's, it's apparent the artists that, that dig deeper than just sort of the, the big sort of A sides. Because it's apparent in the way they've arranged their albums, and it doesn't sound like someone just whose heart may be in the right place, but is is clearly aping a, a sound and and a very specific, say, a song or an album sound or the Motown sound or you know a certain kind of uh, sound. I think you. I've seen certain artists, for example, Mayor Hawthorne, uh, who I know our mutual friend Tim's a fan of. On the surface, some may dispose of him as just a you know, blue-eyed soul singer, but um, being. Pretty familiar with soul music. I got to give it up to him. He, he knows his stuff, and mm. and hearing some of his um his arrangements in his songs and what have you, and it harkens certainly to some deeper cuts from Isaac Hayes or or even some kind of some of the Washington soul sound that or Philadelphia soul with some of his lush mm. arrangements. So he's someone that clearly is as much like Mister Kiwanuka today um, has a very deep understanding of the genre and makes it. And it, it's probably a term that gets overused, but makes it his own. Which I yep. think is the key, is is to have a fresh, organic sound. Well, if you are still hearkening to the, the greats, you can make it your own.
3: The thing is, I think I remember reading somewhere that, you know, growing up, he wasn't really into soul music. It was maybe like only in the last few well, years. He might have, I'm not sure if he was a folky or maybe he'd just been, you know, a London kid who'd been, uh, you know, rocking out. You know, but um, mm. uh, I think, you know, I don't know what it was that someone played him, but it really deeply affected him. And he said, right, this is the way... I want to go, but once again, because something about the music touched him rather than any great commercial considerations. Sure. So, I mean, we'll probably touch on this because more about, you know, because what you've been saying there about artists, you know, who might be aping a style, and I guess some of Kiwanuka's detractors have said that he hasn't yet found his own style because he is relying too much on, you know, what do they say? You know, standing on the shoulders of giants. And yet, whilst I can see that there, there are moments on this album which I, yeah, I see who the influence is there. But um, I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing because, by and large, he's he's not so much a. It's not just about being a sound stylist. You need to be a great songwriter. And what I love Sorry. about this album is he has songwriting talent in 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 abundance
6: Close your eyes Let them rest I ain't in no No hurry at all Rest your On my shoulder, I that's where I would carry. You. But I won't let you go.
3: Go. Uh, on uh, YouTube, I think uh, earlier today, and I saw like there was like a 45, 50-minute set he was um, doing. I can't remember where, but he was playing with a fairly basic sort of you know, four-piece band, you know, drums, bass, guitar, lead guitar, and himself on acoustic. And it, it sounded a lot rawer than the arrangements, uh, which are uh, you know sort of like. That you've got beautiful string arrangements and uh, all that sort of thing on, on this album, but the songs, you know, they hold up, but in a very different way. And that's why I think his great strength, well, one of his great strengths is uh, the, the songwriting. Uh, I guess it could be fairly said that, you know, it, both from the perspective of uh, the arrangements that that you get on this album and the very much in the production, this does sound like. Uh, an early '70s album, you know, something that's just sort of been dusted off and found and brought to public attention.
4: Yeah, it does, but uh, again, it, it sounds very um, sincere and organic. Uh, and it—it's it, the thing I like about it is um, it doesn't feel digital. It doesn't feel like this um, uh, very clearly sort of uh, um, intent uh, to. I mean, like you said, I think they're, they're very... To me, the big influence and uh, that I took away from listening to them, and I think it's partially because <laughs> there, weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of guys who had the same sound, but to me, I took away sort of a Bill Withers, a slightly more melancholic Bill Withers. I've,
3: I've heard that, he Afri- yeah.
4: Yeah, because he's, he's an African-American artist who uh, ha- plays a guitar, uh, has a sensitive side, talked about some things that, that weren't always... On, they actually were more sort of off the beaten path in terms of the way they approached love and loss uh, compared to some other contemporaries. Right. Now I know that um, to be completely transparent, one of the other big uh, names that that comes up in terms of um, Kiwanuka and, and Sounds is Terry Collier, who I'm I'm I only have a passing knowledge of, but I have to say that that is spot on. I just I can't connect the dots as much as I could with Withers. Kind of I'm a huge Bill Withers fan. I think he's right kind of gets lost in the shuffle, sadly, and he stepped away to sort of produce more as he got older. But, um, yeah, he Manuka's album um, and his songwriting, like you said, it's, it's, it's an interesting approach. It's a very earnest approach, um, and I think that it's all the better for that because it kind of goes off the beaten path. But I'm also very taken by the fact that his sound, um, despite sounding a little bit like those guys, uh, is, to me, as a North American and, and a fan of soul music, it feels, it feels very different. It feels very British at times in some of his arrangements and they're a little more eclectic and I like that because I think that not, lo- not enough artists are taking chances and that kind of comes around again to that thing of being in a digital age where he can get into a lot of folk music and he could get into soul and he could marry the two and And he could add very much a European sensibility, and and sort of some of the woodwind stuff he uses on the album Mm. is really impressive. And it's something that you don't see a lot with a lot of soul or quote unquote soul or neo soul artists.
3: Right. Well, okay. So the artists who I guess came to my mind. And it's, it's more from the arrangement. So, like, when you hear a song like Tell Me a Tale, it sounds like early 70s Van Morrison. You know, it's those, oh, absolutely. It's those, those horn, the horn sections, the flute that you get in a song like, uh, I'll Get Along. Um, and, and that, that's sort of not quite big band, but that's sort of, uh, what, what they used to call, I guess, you know, or he dubbed Caledonian Soul. It has that sort of feel that in 19, circa 1971, 72, 73, uh, those early Warner Brothers albums and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, some of the early Polydor albums from Van Morrison. It's very much to me in that, in that vein. But one, um, uh, I, I guess influence that I hadn't seen anyone make a comparison to and it seemed to me really very obvious was, uh, for, um, Oh, yes, I won't lie. Sounds like it belonged on Pet Sounds by the Beach Boys. Oh, comfort
6: me, brother. Something's heavy on my mind. Now I sit and
5: wonder.
6: Why it is that I can't find.
3: Oh, you've, yeah. got, wow. you've, got, you've got the string arrangements, and you've got the timpani, and it just—it sounds like um, he's been listening to "I Just Wasn't Made for These Times," and it's not—he's like, not stealing a melody, he's not stealing an arrangement or anything. It's not—it's not stealing, but he's obviously listened to this album and thinks, "Wow, that's really, really cool. I Wonder if I can incorporate that." And that's—I you know, I don't see that as a crime, the same way that a lot of these. Um, a lot of the music reviewers, the you know cooler than thou music reviewers, see him. I just see, you. wow, that's a beautiful song, and he's taking every little influence that's on his palette. And you'd be a, you'd be stupid to listen to that and say, right, I'm you know that's already been done. I can't do that. You you, you know just because someone's done you know, taking a specific shade of red in a painting doesn't mean you're never going to do that. And he's taken these things and he's brought them. There's even like the clip clop in um, in that song. Uh, I won't lie, that you, you hear on God only knows. I mean, it's it's it, but it's beautiful. It works. It's like, you know, thank you, Brian. I I I'd want to use that, and I, I imagine Brian Wilson would listen to that, and he'd probably. I imagine if he's heard Michael Kiwanuka, I imagine he's a fan. And I, I even said, like on that song song, Bones, which we will talk a little bit about further on. It reminds me of uh, Sam Cooke. You, you hear the the vocal, the the harmony vocals in the background, and it sounds really like a like a Sam Cooke and the Soul Stirrers song.
4: Yeah, he, he sounds to me, because I, I came up, uh, like I was saying, with Sam Cooke and Otis writing at the same time, um, despite having very different styles. I tend to associate them together. I actually found more of a more of like a vulnerable, quiet Otis Redding. He wasn't as, see, because, uh, you know... Uh, Sam, I think had a tighter production. His sound was a little bit tighter than Ot- Otis was. A, you know, a bit looser in terms of his sound. I feel like I definitely see, uh, yeah, Otis in his in his music. But yeah, spot on with, with Van Morrison. It's uh, something else I, I forgot to mention. I did definitely get a, a Van Morrison feel, but it, it just I can't um, I can't uh, just convey enough how much I appreciate uh, how how eclectic um, the album feels, and it has a really you know some albums and some artists are able to evoke uh, a certain feeling a certain time of year certain emotion and this album to me feels very outdoorsy it feels very much like an autumn album like this album to me it evokes sort of lying you know on a sunday afternoon in the autumn looking at the trees with this a warm sun
3: uh, Sunray coming down on me. And that may sound a bit hippy-dippy, but nah, I, nah. I really feel like it does convey that. i gotta, I got to say, Will Smith, I like the way he... Th- think, because um, I wasn't actually going to say that about this album, but uh, when we get to uh, Mac DeMarco, I also have a seasonal memory association. I mean, I've only heard his music the last couple of months, but the sound of that album reminds me very much of Summer, but I'll go into that later on, but it's it's interesting. Right. Wow, I don't think I've ever had anyone on the show sort of tell me that music... Reminded them of a season or a time and place and that's, and on the same show I was going to make that uh, reference you do too. Man, you've got to keep coming on this show. This is great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I wanted to move to talk a little about the uh, lyrical themes uh, that we, um, that he covers on this show. So uh, he might only be like 24, 25 years old, which is really like a pup in musical terms and, you know, hopefully with this great future ahead, yet Thematically, he sounds like a really old soul with his subject matter. He's not, mm. he's, he doesn't sing about young man angst or political disenchantment, which I guess can be a young person's, um, subject matter as well or you know he's not singing about sex he's he's singing about dealing with a lot of heavy emotional and spiritual loads and his belief and disappointment with God I mean he never mentions you know God as an entity and does this without this sounding like it's a gospel album per se it's not it's not an album about proselytizing or preaching the word or you know repent and avoid the fires of hell it's really a far more personal effort than that and it's a good thing because it doesn't mean what side of the divide, the religious divide you fall, you know, you're a devout religious person or you're a hardline atheist, the themes of the album of hope and disappointment still can reach out and touch you. In fact, I mean, some of the religious references by virtue, I guess, of his delivery could be missed entirely, but I still think that they're they're definitely there. It's it's, it's an album about his personal faith rather than saying, you should follow how I follow. It's just this is what this means to me.
4: It's very funny you say that because it is something that kind of does fly under the radar. I've listened to this album a number of times and it wasn't until I sat down to analyze the album critically. Cause a lot of times with any art, it, it's the emotional response. And I think sure. with, with a lot of albums, I don't tend to analyze too much unless I, I'll pick up a line. And I'll think, Oh, that's very smart writing. That's very coy. Or that's kind of a bit of a subversive day, this or that. But, Kiwanuka, um, I was really taken when I listened to the album this time and really was listening to what he was saying. Not to say I wasn't before, but really listening this time to what he was saying. And I was really taken by how much a spiritual album this is and how much he does talk about faith mm-hmm. and um, God, like you said, without without banging you over the head with it, um, because it's not, it's not a, a gospel album or it's not any of those things, but how much it looks at faith and it... Um, it's a very wistful album, and and it does come from a very personal place for him, and 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 a lot of you know religious themes of of hope and and universal themes really, um, <clears throat> like hope and love, uh, and and there's a certain um, there's a certain restlessness to his album and of trying to find oneself, and you know talks about literally and figuratively kind of wandering uh, in the album, which. Uh, of course does tie into faith again yes yes
6: tell me a tale that always was sing me a song that i'll always hear. tell me a story that i can read tell me a story that i believe that I can see Give me a touch that I can feel Turn me around so I can be Everything I was meant to be Lord, I need loving God, I need good, good
3: love Uh, opening song on the album, Tell Me a Tale, which is the probably, uh, the most Van Morrison-like song on the album. Yeah, uh, you know, he, he sings, tell me a tale that always was, sing me a song I'll always be in, tell me a story that I can read, tell me a story that I can believe. And really, that is, I mean, there are other points on the album, but there you go, right off the bat is, um, is his statement of intent. This is his plea to faith. In, in his personal belief system it's once again it's not a call to arms or to proselytise and what makes this work in a modern context is that we don't have the gospel Hammond organ not that I have a problem with that because I'll listen to Mahalia Jackson till the cows come home um, <laughs> you know it's not it's not that staple of the old time church tunes this is uh, not about a retro sound in that line but it's probably uh, appropriate that the sound is more like Van Morrison so you get that, what you call that spiritual restlessness in, in that more personal line, and, and you know when that astral weeks flute comes in, you're, you're just sold. It's it's uh, and, and yeah you know, the, the production here it's not it's not just about the arrangements, not just about his own vocal sound. Paul Butler, I think, who produced the album, really he, he wanted it to sound like an early 70s album, and yet it never sounds like a pastiche. Mm-hmm. So he's pursuing these older themes that might be ignored by a lot of modern songwriters still but you know everything the production work and uh the lyrical themes and the music it all ties in really really well it's all sympathetic is it right these are the lyrics i want to convey okay we'll present the arrangements and the production appropriately rather than sort of um, trying to juxtapose trying to go at odds with it yeah
4: it does and the thing of it is everything works organically Mm. um from his sound, which is organic, to the way it was produced and the arrangements and his songwriting and his voice. Everything is very very organic. And I, I did want to say there's only one moment in the whole album and it's on the final track of the album where he walks beside me. Um, yep. that I, I thought I thought and my ear certainly works is nowhere near as strange as yours, but I even wrote it down. That there was there's a brief Hammond organ uh <laughs> note at the end.
3: Actually now you watch I think you're right. I think you're right. But it's but like everything else on the album, it's uh, and which, and it, I hadn't ever thought about it like this, and this might consider you know sacrilege, but I mean, one of my favourite films uh, is Alan Parker's *The Commitment*, and you know the um, there's this moment where uh, Joey the Lips Fagan is talking to his he's uh, uh, mentoring his young protege, and he's explaining to him you know that soul is about restraint. It's not about doing solos all over the place. It's about having a defined roundness. And, you know, basically the message I'm taking out of it you know, is, is, keeping it restrained, not going all the places, it's not about the you, it's about the us. And, you know, look, it's a film I love, I know not, not everyone, you know, feels the same way I do about that, but certainly that's re- but really he encompasses there for me what great soul and original soul is all about. And, you know, these, these musicians, they're sympathetic to, uh, Kiwanuka's songs, um, they're, they're simple songs of faith. And there's no uh, one instrument that's trying to take off and do some incredible solo. It's about everyone working together to uh, to produce this one vision. Well, that, that comes back to that thing we talked about of
4: of the term old soul
3: and his maturity and his restraint. Butler's
4: restraint is, again, how many first albums, you know, f- feature this, you know, this shredding guitar or this sack? I mean, whatever it is, there always seems to be these moments where they have to have a showcase moment. Mm for an instrument or, or for the voice. And Michael Kiwanuka stays within a very specific range um, when he sings. Now, that could be uh, because of that's where he's most comfortable, but it also could be that by his very nature, he's not showy enough to just to go on a run. Do you know what I mean? And, yeah, yeah. It, it, he sticks very much in a certain amount of restraint um, when he's working. But yeah, I think it comes to, again, the term soul, as obvious as this sounds, but a lot of this stuff comes from introspection and inside his soul that he's getting out. Uh, you know, to talk about what you, what you were saying about with, with uh, the line on the commitments, and that he's in turn um, giving to us is, is a lot of the stuff has been internalized. And I feel like, yeah, just again, someone who's who's been looking for something, is trying to find something, and, and is wrestling with a lot uh, inside, and, and yeah, again, is very uh, introspective.
3: And, and that's a good thing that sort of like links all soul music, I guess, is, you know, what you say, you, you hit the nail right on the head, I think, in you know, it with, about it being introspective because, you know, you were making the, uh, comparison before you're talking about, you know, difference between, say, Motown's description of soul, you know, what was coming out of Detroit for what was happening in Philadelphia to what was happening mm-hmm. in, um, in Alabama with Muscle Shoals to what was happening yeah. in Memphis with Stacks. So actually at the moment, I'm reading a fantastic book. Called respect yourself about uh, the history of Stax records, and uh, a few weeks oh, ago, nice. a few weeks ago, I went to see um, this uh, the documentary Muscle Shoals about the uh, the the studio, the Fame Studios uh, down there. Go on.
4: So I was gonna say I'm really pumped to see that documentary.
3: Oh you you haven't seen it yet, no oh man you'll you'll really have a time with it i mean i I guess you know, like music documentaries that you you can get some really, really fantastic ones as I'm gonna find out in my new podcast uh which i'll uh I'll plug later on in the show, <laughs> but uh you know they can really they can be you can get some which really convey a great sense of what the the musician or musical artist under subject is about and there are some which are just fluff pieces but Muscle Shoals just came out of it really really exhilarated and I think came home I went with Max and I went on Skype later on at about 10 o'clock at night and got to speak to Tim about it who'd already seen it and. We spoke for about an hour, hour and a half just about the film. And I thought, why wasn't I recording that? You know, we had, we had a podcast right there and then, but it was just a personal <laughs> conversation. But, um, yeah, no, you, you, you fit the nail on the head there about solving introspection because, you know, Kiwanuka's version of soul is, you know, not Sam and Dave's version of soul. And it's, you know, not necessarily what contemporary, I, as opposed when I say contemporary soul, I'm talking about like you know, modern artists who are doing a style of soul that is not retro, like what you know the aforementioned artists are uh, covering. I mean, you know, contemporary stylistically, not contemporary people who are who are just you know, around now. I, I was going to say uh, I, I mentioned briefly before about uh, another you know, very retro sounding touch on the album was uh, Bones.
6: Honey, I've been So no, I don't mean you no more I Had to write you this song. I would
3: leave this world alone without you wonderful. We've already, you know, sort of spoken about the use of subtle touches on the album and on this song we get this very 50s background vocals sort of like, uh, you know, the Jordanaires, you might have heard, you know, right. like on um, the old Elvis songs and it just fits the song so beautifully. Uh, I mean look, I'm I'm a huge fan of, you know, groups like you know, the Blind Boys of Alabama or the Fairfield Four or the Holmes Brothers but none of the music here dictates a need for anything that's fire and brimstone uh, like those singers were who, are, as I said, absolutely adore but the right tools for the right job and, and the gentle sound that they provide to uh, Kiwanuka's sound on that song Bones is just absolutely perfect to my way of thinking Yeah, agreed any um, uh, so what what are the like uh, are there any sort of musical touches that uh, really impressed you? Because I you know I know you've made uh, notes about you know, a whole bunch of songs specifically, but was there anything overall that sort of struck you like you know that was a common theme throughout the album musically?
4: Well, I, I, I did want to actually talk about bones for a sec. I'm glad you yeah, brought sure, it up because sure. that's the that's the track to me that um is the most playful on the album. Yes, uh, has sort of the sunniest most sunny disposition on the album. It's the one where he kind of. He goes into like the quiet, uh, the quiet son of Otis in some ways because he almost has this this playful kind of back and forth yearning like Otis used to do. And oh, I love you, I can't live without you, and you drive me mad, and you drive me wild, and and it's um it's where we also hear which which is sprinkled throughout the album too is is a bit of a bluesy sound at times. It's not overt again, nothing. It's never like he's just you know pouring it, you know, a bottle of ketchup on a plate. Everything is just. Just right just enough and and it's uh, very much a play in that because the rest of the and I think he's smart to 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 pepper a few uh, songs on the album that that are a little bit more uplifting because as much as I love his sound I do feel like the album you have to be sort of um, in a specific uh, state of mind and it's not an album I can just throw on at any time of the day that's not a criticism of the album I just think some albums and some films uh, work better in a specific setting uh, or, you know, to, to enhance the, the the viewing or the listening. And um, Kiva Nuka is wise to sprinkle songs like Bones on the album, because otherwise I think you do start to, it starts to kind of drone on a little bit, uh, as good as it is, but it, it, it perks things back up and then allows us to ease back into some of the more melancholic stuff that he does. Um, but in terms of a few things I really liked uh, As far as uh, on the album, some of the musical stuff I think um, Any Day Will Do Fine I think- hey,
6: listen
4: girl Can I get along
6: with you I'm in need of your time Any day will do fine hey, listen girl and now what you will do, just be gentle and kind, really be easy in my mind. My trouble upon you, there. so hard time
4: thought I heard that it. it sounds sort of like a like a Spanish guitar or like an old um oh gosh uh, like a, you know very much almost like an old country guitar kind of slidey sound yeah. at times and uh, yeah and again that tracks a little more playful comparatively speaking to some on the album Um,
3: I was, okay, so we've, we've already spoken a little bit about um, uh, Kiwanuka's voice. So one thing that I really like about Paul Butler's approach to production, and I don't know whether you sort of felt the same way about this. I mean, a lot of the time when you listen to an album where the focus is the singer as opposed to being a band, uh, the singer's voice will be right up in front of the mix. And I guess, well, you know, in in proper bands as well you know, where the, the, the lead singer is going to be the face of that band, but it seems to me that uh, Butler, and quite wisely too has gone and made Kiwanuka's voice almost like an instrument, so it blends in with the rest of the music, it's almost like saying right, you know, Michael your voice is going to serve your song the same way the flute, and the same way, I'm Pretty sure there's a sitar. One of the songs is there as well. Well, Oh nice! I didn't catch that. (laughs) um, I'll get along. Yeah, I'll get along. I'm pretty sure uh, there's a there's a sitar in
5: there somewhere. I
6: know sometimes I wonder, sometimes I take too long, but I know where I'm heading. I know I belong. I still
3: get in a little while. but anyway so but yeah it seems to me that he's using Michael's voice as uh, as an instrument it blends in it's not up in front in the mix and I I really like that and uh, you know Kiwanuka's Kiwanuka's voice uh, it's it's something that I, I really appreciate I mean because you know you made you made the Otis comparison before uh, which I wouldn't necessarily see that not in terms of uh or vocal delivery but what i really appreciate about his his delivery is it's 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 restrained and yet it's the dynamic is never dull you know for me i never get a sense of sameness like oh yeah more the same come on let loose here i think no i really like i really like what i'm here it's not a lazy sort of restraint um no and one thing which I really love is not so much what he does as what he doesn't do um, I only heard the word uh, uh, melisma uh, maybe about 3-4 years ago but i would long known of the concept and it's it's a concept it's a vocal delivery that I hate where singers, especially you know some of the more show-offy ones of the 1980s, 1990s Michael fucking Bolton's uh, your Mariah Carey. So, <laughs> Mariah sort of Carey like comes to mind. The, the guy the <laughs> with that. Oh, yeah. It's he's still he's still got an emotional vocal. He, he's the one who's <laughs> showing you here. You can give emotion without sort of feeling like you've got to be all over the place. This is not, I'm not showing off my vocal range here. I'm showing off this great song I've written, and Mo- that's something I love. Morris,
4: you're,
3: sorry to cut you. Morris, you're so
4: spot on. You're so spot on because. It, this ties in with my sentiment. What I was going to chime in with next is that the way the album is put together, uh, there's there's very much, there's no vanity with Kiwanuka. He's there to serve the music uh, without being sort of the face in the front all the time. He's happy to uh, let it blend in versus him stand out in front. And I find it appalling uh, to my ears to hear these these uh, singers, like I I, lo- I do quite like Mariah, Carey. she's very talented, and, <laughs> and uh, but but in saying that, um, you know, you look at singers like Christina Aguilera, and I, th- I was really struck by this around Christmas. Um, it, it was a Christmas standard, I can't remember what it was now, and it was a, it was a, I want to say it was Christina Aguilera, and if not, it was an artist who was aping her. But they kept they went on all these runs, and it's like okay this is the height of musical vanity. Yes. I know you can sing. I know you can sing. You don't need... It's like... You know what? It's like uh, you have lemonade and you
3: dump the whole bag of sugar
4: in. It's too much.
5: <laughs> right.
3: Ah. Oh. Man. But, uh, no, that's something that you, you... Sort of saying show off and Michael Kiwanuka not in the same sentence. No. Um, oh, gosh. One singer-songwriter who... Musically, oh, sorry, I should say stylistically, he, I wouldn't necessarily compare him to, but both in terms of really restrained but beautiful vocal delivery, is a guy called Nick Drake. Uh, you, are you familiar with Nick Drake? Mm-hmm. Um, and passingly, so is that even a word, passingly? Uh, no, uh, in, a, in a sort of a passing way. Ooh, sure, okay. sure. So, you know, Nick Drake came up with, I think, like, in his lifetime, maybe about three albums. Uh, there's been, you know, I think, another, you know, one or two albums. Certainly, you know, live album, and there's been maybe one or two albums of uh, posthumously previously unreleased material. But um, really, these are albums of great beauty, and his vocal delivery was, uh, you know, restrained but still very emotional. And even though Kiwanuka's voice is nothing like Nick Drake's, but his approach to to the song. Reminds me very much of Nick Drake. I think I had a few more notes here, but I think um, possibly uh, with I know that you've got to be up and start the day with your family. So um, unless did, did you have any actually, uh, go few work. more things? Oh, you have to go to work. Oh, well, there you go. Um,
4: well, you know, and, and I have to perpetuate the Canadian myth. It's actually a bit of a blizzard outside, <laughs> um, and I got an hour commute with no snow, so it'll be a lengthy commute today. Um, I guess overall thoughts. You know, it's nice to see. Yeah, I'll get on my soapbox again, because it ties into my thoughts on the album. Sure. I think, you know, you would never proclaim this, Morris, but I've heard a lot of people proclaim, oh man, there's no good new music. New music sucks, man. It's terrible. And I think to people, you know, shame on you when you have the internet at your disposal. And if you have a passion to seek something out... Um, you can do so, and there's a lot of really great musicians making great music nowadays. Mm. Just like there's a lot of great filmmakers making great films today, but you have to dig beyond your HMVs and your multiplexes and your right. your um, Apple hit list. Of course, you do, and of course that stuff all sounds the same. But throughout time, a lot of that stuff sounds the same, and, and maybe uh, top forty music has devolved and become this this um, this shrill, vain, auto tune. Uh, Horror show, but there's wonderful musicians like Michael Kiwanuka who are putting together great albums and are influenced by. Uh, they have a they sort of kindred spe- he's a kindred spirit to a lot of the artists that we've been mentioning as as uh, as we've been talking about the album. But um, I'm really excited to see what he does next. And he's a guy that um, because he doesn't clearly stamp himself as this kind of artist, or you know, he doesn't make party uh, like a. You know, he's not like a party album kind of guy. No. He, he has a wide net with which he can cast um, where he's going to go, whether it's a little more folky on the next, a little more soul, a little more jazzy. Because he actually played, and I, I didn't find this out until a few days ago, he played the Montreal Jazz Festival a few years ago. Oh, nice.
3: Yeah, I would have loved to have seen him. Oh, man. I, I've got to go back. I went there in 96 and uh, had the time of my life at such a great festival. Yeah, my favorite
4: city for sure, but it's, uh, I think I love that he, uh, by, I don't want to say by design because it sounds calculated, because I think that's from a very, very sincere place, but through his, what he loves, he casts a wide enough net that um, we're not going to get this sort of derivative same old, same old with, with Q and Nuka's next album, so I'm excited I'm, to, I'm looking to see at, where yeah, he I'd goes. Like- and-
3: yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that, and I'm I'm sort of hoping that uh, what I saw on this live video on YouTube today might be the direction that he takes. That he does an album with just a, a, a band of you know drums, guitar, bass, and lead guitar. Not because what he did before was was wrong. It's so perfectly right. But a songwriter like him, I think, will see evolve and and try different things and uh, you know prove those critics wrong you know I, I think he's a guy with a great future i'm really looking forward to it um the favorite song favorite song is i'll get along nice yep that, that's I really that's... like it number three on the album mm. yeah that is that is a good one i'd say probably my two favorites uh, i'm getting ready a you know nice sort of the acoustic or yeah. uh, jazz brush drum feel uh and uh, I won't lie, that's you know, the one I mentioned about before that uh, has that Beach Boys feel and just sounds like it belongs on pet sounds but uh, yeah no, overall really really strong album uh, thanks so much Tim for uh, putting me onto that. So alright at this stage what we're going to do is go to uh, our good friend Eric Reanimator's segment and album I love and he'll be talking about Janelle Monet and her album The Arch Android and I had a listen to his segment and uh she's something of a, a contemporary soul singer herself, and I um, only just found out she was here, and uh, I, I, when Eric described her, I thought, oh, I wonder if she's, you know, like, uh, obscure, or how, but, you know, she's apparently had all these Grammy nominations, and she performed with a huge band. I saw a video clip uh, pl- uh, performing two years ago at the Sydney Opera House, so so I don't think she's that obscure, but I just, you know, I'm not paying attention enough I'm getting old <laughs> so um, anyway we'll, we'll, be back in a, we'll be back in a few minutes after Eric's segment and we'll be uh, talking about Mac DeMarco and his album 2 you're listening to Love That Album with Morrison. and Will speak to you shortly
0: take it away Eric the orchestra leader I want 2 I want 2 people
3: now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator.
2: I love. I
0: one, two, three. Eric the Reanimator.
1: and happy 2014. It's Eric Reanimator here with another album that I love. This time around we're going to be talking about Janelle Monae and her 2010 album, The Arch Android. Morris told me that the albums for this episode were tied together by the theme of young songwriters who we want to hear more from and see what they do in the future. And he also mentioned that one of them had a kind of a retro soul element. My first thought was to cover the Bell Rays' Grand Fury album, but after giving that a listen and realizing that the Bell Rays have been around for quite a while, I started hunting her through my music collection for something else, and I settled on Janelle Monae. The Archie Android is her debut album, and it is a semi-concept album inspired by the film Metropolis. Throughout the record, she plays around with a lot of different genres, with soul music, with dance music. A little bit of disco. Don't tell anybody that I actually listen to that occasionally. And, of course, you can't have a retro science fiction album without having some 1930s, 1940s-style crooning going on. different sounds on this album but they all come from the same voice and the same editorial voice i guess is what i'm saying uh it's hard for me to pick favorite songs because as an album it works so much better than just its pieces even though they are so different at times david bowie is what comes to mind when i think of this album i think 1970s david bowie that glam period ziggy stardust there's, there's some of the DNA of that in in this, and I also appreciate the fact that because this is a neo-soul hip-hop album that it's bringing these sounds to an audience that doesn't usually hear crooning or psychedelic or kind of punky stuff, and also since this really isn't a singles album, it's, it's an album that requires you to sit down and listen to it, to play it in its entirety. I guess you could say it has a very 70s feel to it as an album. Now, Janelle Monae does have a new record that came out at the end of last year. I have yet to check it out, but I will be in the very, very near future. So let's check out a little bit more of the record, and I'll catch you all on the flip side.
2: I hope that I'll get to see you again la da 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 My friend, I hear the colors in the clouds Not the dawn. You're here, you're near, you're there, and then you're gone. Working all day on tunes, I just need some pussy.
3: Thanks very much, Eric, for another great segment. And he'll be back on Love That Album 58. I don't know what he's going to cover yet, but um, I wouldn't give it away even if I did, because that's part of the surprise. But I will tell you at the end of the show what um, my partners are for the next program and what we're going to be discussing. But uh, back to this show. And the second album for uh, today is uh, Mac DeMarco and his album Two. So, Will, when you agreed to, uh, come on the program to discuss Michael Kiwanuka, I asked, you know, what would be a suitable partner or just something else that you wanted to cover. And before I cover my reaction, just give me a bit of a, beef, a brief background on how you actually discovered Mac. I mean, was he, is he big over in Canada or, or big? Like, you know, do you hear a lot about him in Toronto or, or what's, what's the general reaction to him? How did you discover him?
4: I kind of discovered him again through the wonders of the internet. Um, I had discovered okay. him through, a, I want to say, a musical blog. I hate to sound like I'm you know, looking to sources. I don't find anything on my own, but I don't. Um, no, nowadays, it's
3: as good a source as any. You know, we used to do it by the radio. Now we do it by a blog. It's as good a source as any, I think.
4: Yeah, and I I'd heard something, and I, the thing that struck me was it, it would, just admittedly, and I think by design. A very his very ridiculous album cover for two, mm. which is overtly kind of goofy earnest, um, and I I I'd, I'd heard a few songs. I really liked them, and I forgot about them for a bit. And I, um, a good friend of mine, Paul Hughes, uh, one of the finest Mancunians in the land, um, I brought him the back man, up. And the man who it's- says Rafi. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. So, um, I, I, he had you know posted something uh, I believe in feed my ears, and um, I'd come back to Mac uh, because I was uh, listening here again. It comes back to Aquarium Drunkard. Um, I had come back to Mac because uh, there was a cover. Uh, there's a great thing called the Lanyep sessions that they do on there, where they take he takes artists that he likes and they cover more uh, prominent material in some ways, and they talk about you know uh, their approach to it and what have you. and And Night Beds had covered um, my kind of woman, which is you know truth be told my favorite track on the album. Oh, God. Drive- go back and listen to the breath of the album outside of a few tracks i listened to and um, you know him being a Canadian artist I always try to support Canadian artists I think of a pretty great music scene you know, between you know bands like Arcade Fire and Metric and just a myriad of artists that have come out and, and I wanted to kind of really support him and and um, he had a sound that um, was you know a sound that I liked as far as sort of pop rock with just kind of this jangly kind of Indie, garagey kind of rock, lo-fi. I, it's um, it's it's kind of a unique sound in a lot of ways. I you know I like, uh, like the OCs, which have a bit of a psychedelic garage kind of sound like he does, but his is very, very um, unique to him for me. And, and as as we talked about off the air, I found it hard to articulate some of this, but that's kind of how I came to Mac was just uh, online and digging in. And it, it's truth be told, it was my favorite album
3: last year. And I think nice. I may have mentioned that on your your end show. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. To front to back and listen. Yes, yes, I, I, that's right. You did. When we spoke about this, I asked you to right, "Who do you want to talk about?" And you, you mentioned uh, Mac DeMarco. And so I thought, all right, okay, I'll go uh, do a bit of a search, find out who this guy is. I'd never heard of him. And the first thing I saw was this um, YouTube clip uh, for this song "Ode to Viceroy." Now I'll talk a little bit more <laughs> about that later on. But I thought this is crazy we got this guy who's done almost like a love song or is it a piss take a love song to cigarettes um, okay this is interesting let's see where he goes and then I did a Google search to try and discover you know what is it about this guy's background and the first thing that came up was you know Mac DeMarco Melbourne 2013 I thought oh has he been here and then I discovered he was going to be performing two nights after our discussion he was playing here in Melbourne uh in a, in a venue on the other side of town and i i couldn't make it but there i was sort of a thinking oh he's, i wonder if this is just like some obscure indie guy and i thought well no he's he's playing on the other side of the planet uh in what turned out to be when i read the reviews later a sold out gig to you know a whole bunch of very enthusiastic people you anyway, know i just sort of found that was an amazing thing you know there we go discussing it and found, well he's in my town. Ta- in my town that's uh incredible so um, I I, did a little bit of research just to find out about uh, his background and you know like I guess a lot of artists he'd gone and spent a lot of his time uh, in previous years playing to near-empty clubs but you know fortunately for him you know the reviews and the word-of-mouth got him doing you know eventually sold out shows in Europe and and apparently in California uh, because of uh, uh, PR for his early album, Rock and Roll Nightclub, where he wore lipstick and dressed in drag. He apparently earned a large gay following, and at a London show, some, some fellow broke through the security to plant a big wet one on the bass player's list, <laughs> lips, which, uh, to me, first thing I thought, wow, you know, Mac DeMarco would, you know, do very well, uh, playing the theme for, uh, silver and gold, you know, they, uh, you know, so, <laughs> that's a very silver and gold thing. And I noticed that yeah. you went and put on, um, uh, on, uh, Facebook today a link to, uh, the Some Kind of Woman clip. <laughs> that, that is something else. That, that sort of, uh, you know, recalls to mind, yeah, you know, probably that whole thing. You know, there he's, he's dressing in drag and putting on the lipstick. And the first thing I thought of went, actually, when I saw the clip, like the first few seconds of it, it reminded me of, uh, Silence of the Lambs where, you know, the, the, Right. Jamie, Jamie Gum character, you see the close up of him doing the lips and he steps back at himself to look at himself in the mirror. I thought, oh my god, is this going to go there? And fortunately, it didn't... thankfully,
4: yeah, thankfully we don't see <laughs> Mac DeMarco's Tuck Game.
3: <laughs> I was thinking the same thing, man. <laughs> the thing for me about this album is the sound. I'm, I find I'm often repelled by big sounding records and you've already gone and mentioned that this is a very low-fi album. And I have a soft spot. I mean, obviously the music's got to be great, but I'm a really big fan of a good lo-fi sounding album. This does sound like it's you know recorded in a bedroom somewhere, but that's not. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just. Oh,
4: Morris, you you got a good ear, my friend. He recorded it in his Montreal apartment bedroom in his underwear.
3: <laughs> oh, there's a <laughs> well done. silver and gold element. So so basically, he. Yeah. Uh, I, I can just imagine he. We ought to get, you know, I mean, I know Sly Stallone has been calling into silver and gold, but, you know, (laughs) Mac DeMarco should be calling in. Hey, (laughs) silver and gold, I got this guy, Mac DeMarco, he's doing a workout his
5: underwear with
3: (gasps) (laughs) me. Fantastic. I'd read, you know, one critic had gone and described that Mac's vocal delivery was lethargic. I don't know, I'd say lethargic is too strong a term, but it... It is, Reed. I don't know, casual. Is that the word you use? Lazy? Yeah, I think it,
4: it almost has, yeah, it's t- again, it, it's tough to articulate um, some of the stuff. I, I want to say it's, it, it is, when I say, I, 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 I'm struggling to find the right descriptive here. I, I would say almost lazy, but lazy is, it sounds like a negative thing i think there's a very um oh, i don't know flith- yeah i'm finding it hard but i think it, a word in that realm certainly describes yeah. it because there's never aggressive feel yeah like you said laid back a little bit and yeah. he the way he kind of has a very very relaxed kind of croon at times and his delivery is very is uh, unique work, uh, yeah. yeah
3: these songs they're a long way removed from uh, from apathy but so I, yes. I, no, I guess the word that I'm sure. going to stick with is casual. Uh, you know, the, sure. these, these songs, there I guess, uh, I, I guess maybe another good word would be meandering because these songs are, yes. in some ways, they're meandering thoughts on, uh, family, which is not always flattering, love and, uh, you know, maybe bored suburban life, but and not, but time. not in a, not sort of in a fist pumping declaration of I've got to get out of this place if it's the last thing I ever do. It's just, it, it's, almost um, it, resignation, I don't know, would, would you say that's a fair assessment?
4: In some way, I would say it's a fair assessment. I think, to me, what it sounds like is an album that was recorded at three or four in the morning right. by himself a lot, because I do feel like, you know, like we talked about, there are the themes of growing up in suburbia and love and longing, and there's this David Lynchian thing of, of familial... And suburban sort of uh, malaise and discontent and something darker going on beneath the the veneer of the the white picket fence yeah none of it is done in a heavy-handed way it, it, but I find him to be a really really talented uh, songwriter in, in the way he he crafts his songs um it, there's a bit of a slyness but also very much a fragility at times and there's very uh, to me, he has a very keen sense of observation to sort of life and love. and yes. It's very poetic.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I found it interesting that you sort of made the David Lynch reference there because – he manages to blend this sort of cheeky humour. Gosh, I never thought I'd use the word cheeky on this. Show. I don't think I ever use that <laughs> word, but it, but it really is sort of like a. He, he's um, he's not the Messiah. He's a very naughty boy. Um, it, a sort of cheeky sense of humour, but the Lynch element is that there's something dark going on behind that picket fence and you know like you know we mentioned before uh oh device roy and you know he he obviously has uh has a, a a love of the cancer stick
5: Viceroy,
2: early in the morning just trying to let the sun in and I open up my eyes
3: Singing skeletons and smoke belching up to the sky, and which way is he taking this? Um, But I I sort of see, in some way, I I thought two bands I want to compare them to because of that sense of humor are the Bonzo Dog Doodah Band, more in terms of attitude, but also musically as well, in terms of attitude, would be Ween. I don't know, do you see the Ween comparison there? See, I do. Now, here's the funny thing about Ween.
4: I don't want to step on anyone's toes here. Yeah, right. Ween's a, Ween, I think Ween is a group that I admire and I respect more than I like.
5: Uh-huh.
4: Um, I don't know what it is if I caught them at the wrong time every time I tried to get into them. But they just always seem to grate on me. Not grate on me. That's, that sounds a bit harsh, certainly. They never quite work for me the way that on paper I thought they would. But it's funny because Mac is very much... Um, a kindred spirit to Ween, certainly. So it, it's very, um, yeah, it's very strange. I'll have to maybe go back and, and reassess my my lukewarm feelings on Ween because I, 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 think, I adore I, Mac.
3: I mean, look, I know that some people have gone and accused Ween maybe of, uh, I don't know, maybe try too hard is not the right expression, but maybe they're, just, they're trying to be clever, uh, whereas yes. I think Mac is, uh, I, I guess, a lot more natural. In his approaches, he it, it, it sounds like well, what you went and said like you know he's, he's recording at three in the morning in his underwear, and I suspect he's probably had a night with uh, a little bit of the weed, and uh, this is just what's yep. coming out, and that's why he sounds so uh, laconic and and laid back with his um, with his delivery. Actually, um, uh, you know, while we're on the uh, the 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 drug train over here. The opening song on the album is called uh, Cooking Up Something Good. i in the kitchen, cooking up
2: something good. And daddy's on the sofa, right of the neighbourhood. My brother's in the ballet, As soon seems he's got it safe. And I'll be up at midnight. Slowly
3: You know this tale, this very bizarre tale, from the perspective of a teenager, you know, living in the suburbs, and his father's in the basement cooking up something good. I've gone and uh, nicknamed this song "Walter White Song" because I imagine that you know his father's in the basement yeah. doing the crystal meth, um, and yet even in this sort of you know, humorous song, I think you know he's just also singing about, oh, my brother takes ballet, and uh, and he's living this very dysfunctional family life, and yet there's that dark moment where. Uh, he sings, ooh, when life moves this slowly, just try and let it go. Uh, so he, he's still very aware, you know, that he's not necessarily happy with his life. You know, it's just, uh, nothing seems to be happening for him. So he's going to make this humorous observation along with, uh, we mentioned the word resignation before. And it, it's, it's sort of interesting how we can combine both the humor and the dark element within that one song. And that's a general theme for the album.
4: It is, and there's very much an awareness of... Uh, an intelligence, but an awareness of his resignation. And I think that um, it's interesting how he... a lot of his songs kind of open almost like... Um, I, I feel like he, he revels in sort of anti-vanity and he revels in sort of awkward moments. Yes, um,
3: yes, good point.
4: Which, you know, he I think I've seen him and he's he's very much the, the antithesis of sort of a, like a glam rocker, although his early work is very much influenced by glam rock. I just like like I said, even his album cover is so no frills and it's it's very awkward in some ways, but it's this awkward aesthetic that works quite well. And and his like the album opens with that track and it's one of my favorite tracks. It's hard to pick. It's like it's like my children, you know, it's you know you can't pick just one. And um it's very like the, the guitar is very sort of warbly and and it's slightly off kilter. And I think that yeah. is very reflective of him and his sound is things are very Sort of off kilter, but it it sounds almost there. It's just a little bit off, and yeah, I love that line. Mommy's in the kitchen cooking up something good. Daddy's on the sofa, pride of the neighborhood. Yes, and it starts out very much like this innocent suburban song about this teenage boy who's up at night. But then, like you said, it goes into something much darker where the father is cooking meth in the basement and the his brothers slinging it on the in the suburbs.
3: That's right, right. Yeah, he kind
4: of slips it in there. It's very subversive.
3: One thing that we um... We've been talking about him as a songwriter and as uh, this guy with a sense of humour, but let's talk a little bit about the sort of musical approach here on the album. Well, so there are two things that stick out, I guess. The uh, the guitar you've already sort of gone and used, uh, you know that word sort of has a warbly sort of sound. The word I sort of, that came to my mind was uh, shimmering. And yeah, I not, definitely. I know it's not necessarily a, a very technical musical mm. description, but I hopefully that sort of conveys to someone who hasn't heard the music yet what this album sound is like, and it's sort of, we, you were speaking before while we were talking about Michael Kiwanuka, about his music sounding to you like a great autumn day, but the sort of uh, uh, shimmering, very bright sort of sound that he has uh, from his guitar on this album reminds me a little bit like, um, I, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Australian songwriter Paul Kelly, but um, uh, he has this great Thank song sir. called here's has, he has this uh, great song probably you know, one of my very favorite Kelly songs called How to Make Gravy and it has this great sort of summer guitar There's, this sort of up and down slide motif that they use throughout this and it's conveyed there. Probably another good comparison. It's not necessarily a song I like, but I do like the guitar feel on it. You hear in the lead guitar on um, the, uh, I think it's America, their song Sister Golden Hair. I like the sound. Yeah, of, absolutely. And that's, I think that's a guitar sound that he's going for here. The other thing, I guess, that uh, is evident about this album, and it's, we've already gone and said that he's got like a very, Laid back, very laconic sort of sound for this album, and yet rhythmically, because I mean, it's him doing all the instruments on this, right?
4: Uh, I, think, I believe so. I know he's, he he tours with the band, obviously. Yeah, but yeah, but, report-
3: but I think it's all him know. doing the instrumentation. So, I mean, his, his, uh, the, the bass playing and drumming on this, it's what musicians like to call tight but loose, you know, so it, it sounds like everything's in place, but not anally so. It's, you know, it's not sounding like perfect because we have to get this sounding perfect. It just it's it's great because everything is in its place, but it sounds more like he's doing it naturally, like breathing. And you know the the rhythm. Well, it's all him, but you know the rhythm section, if if you want to call it that. It just it, it, he sets up a groove. It's a groove based record. I mean that's not to say that you know these songs aren't well crafted. Uh, they they are, but the songs are more groove based rather than I guess based on. Uh, trying to sort of develop uh, uh, melodies. Once again, the good melodies are great melodies even, but I think he's more going for the groove here. And that's, uh, you know, before you sort of like get to the dark tones of the lyrics and themes and what he's trying to get at here, that's, uh, uh, I guess, musically what I take away from it.
4: Absolutely. No, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. It is very much a a tight but loose sound. But it really does, again, it's one of those things where uh, I was really stunned. I knew Mac was young, He's twenty three or twenty four, and it's it's that thing again of um, you know what's, you know what is an interesting through line. More, now that I think about it is the distinct lack of vanity on both of our artists, uh, uh, bo- with both of our artists this week. You know, they may be very different musically, mm. but there's a distinct lack of, of of vanity on both both sides. With Mac, I think again, he's a little more playful, and and he can have sort of a faux vanity. Or you know, just for the sake of vanity, just because it's very absurd and silly. But um, he's very, like I said, anti-vanity. So I think it's interesting, and, sure. and with well, his I mean, sound. He's
3: well, those, those film clips that that you see, uh, you know, for, for *Ode to Roy* and and *My Kind of My Kind of Woman*. You know, he, he's really taking the Mickey out of himself. There, this is not a yeah, guy who, he's, he, he's not trying to sort of, uh, show himself to the world in the best light. It's more like, you know, hey, I'm having a laugh at myself. You'll have a laugh with me too. And, um, I'd love to have seen him live. I really would because, um, I, I, I imagine he's, uh, probably a you know, very, very funny guy. Not just, uh, oh, yeah. a planned visual sense, uh, on, on his film clips. I'm sure he's got a lot of interesting and funny things to say. Th- that's the other thing with this album. He sort of seesaws between, Songs where he's you know got something really funny to say, and you know, songs like um, uh, "Freaking Out in the Neighborhood" or "Oh, De Viceroy um, and, or, or you know "My Kind of Woman," really you know has has its funny moments. Or I, I guess maybe a little bit detached uh, in some ways. But then you get um, songs like you know the album closer, "Still Together."
6: In time, she'll see that her and me were meant to be together And time will pass, it may go fast But we'll still be together And where I go, she's
2: at my side Half of my life
6: together It's easy love. It's like a glove from up above. Together,
2: together,
6: The
3: song that sounds the least like anything else on the album that's just him and, yes, a, a, and an acoustic guitar doing this sort of reggae rhythm and um, uh, whereas the rest of it sort of has this uh, I don't know I, I guess something and I don't mean this to sound negative but it's a but it's something that came to mind is some of the songs sound almost like he's um, he's uh, a Las Vegas performer but or maybe he's taking the piss yeah. out of a Las Vegas performer I, I made a note that on the song Freaking Out the Neighborhood which had like a, a, sort of a disco-y feel. Um, it made me think like it belonged in a disco scene in in a movie. And I'm not talking about like something like Saturday Night Fever. It sounds to me like it <laughs> belongs. It sounds like it belongs in that scene in The Jerk. Sorry, Mama.
2: There are times I get carried away. Don't worry
6: Next time I'm home I'll still be the same and I know it's
2: no fun When you're the first time.
3: The neighborhood. Really, I'm Steve Martin. Spoiler alert: uh, realizes that um, his, his uh, invention has uh, wrecked a lot of people's lives, and he's got this big disco scene. He's going to hide all these people to to dance away the night in his room. And it, it sounds like it belongs there. It's just sort of corny, kitschy, Las Vegasy disco thing. It, really sounds like it belongs there
4: it's so funny that that was evocative for you in that way because and i'm not lying to you i've always thought this and i can't quite place why that the opening uh, of freaking out the neighborhood to me is very evocative i, I don't know why it's gonna sound so silly to say but it has a very much to me like a 1983 australian kind of late at night bar sound <laughs> <laughs> completely off the mark, but there's a sound very much at that time, like '83. I don't know why I associate it with Australia. Maybe it had been a, sort of a guitar riff I heard from an Australian band of the time, and I, I've kind of tied them in my head together subconsciously and can't quite place why, but um, it has very much that kind of sound. And it's, uh, it's funny that you've got sort of this disco. Uh, so I'm going to have to go back and re-listen because it's, it's definitely one of my
3: favorite tracks on the album. Go back and, and it's watch, so well written. Go back and watch The Jerk and play that song while you're watching that scene and see if it works. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I've already gone and mentioned a couple of times about uh, Ode to Viceroy. and I don't know, I just have a feeling that it's the sort of song that if he was still around, Frank Zappa would dig. Um, yeah, yeah, good call. It's, um, it's quite ironic considering that here in Melbourne at the moment we've got at, uh, at Acme down here we've got an exhibition that discusses the history of the music video clip. I've I, I sort of got, I, I wouldn't say necessarily I love hate relationship with the music video clip, but I get a bit wary when a song is permeated into my brain more for the video clip than rather than its own merits. And because this video clip is so bizarre, and it's the first way I encountered this song, uh, I'm still uncertain as to. Well, I mean, I do love the song, but I listen to it now, and all I think of is that video clip and seeing him sort of walk in that "keep on truckin'" sort of way, you know, with that cigarette dangling from his lips and this guitar held up very high on his on his chest. And I, I don't need; I have nothing to add to that conversation. You know that millions of people have added, added, had it, added, it, had it, uh about um whether a song whether a, a video clip can justifiably add something artistically to the song or it's just a vehicle for selling the song. Really, I now listen to that song and I just think of that, that video clip and, you know, it's, it's laid back feel and, you know, he's walking down the street and, yeah, it's all very cool and very casual.
4: It's funny, yeah, how he does that with the, the videos of his, like with My Kind of Woman, um, it feels again to me, he feels very much to me like an artist I know he said, like, some of the stuff he really loves is, like, Steely Dan and and stuff like that, which I think on the surface you maybe wouldn't catch, but I think some of the more subversive kind of... See, he has a, at times, a, you know, Steely Dan and, and, and groups like that that had sort of a sunny sort of AM radio sound, but below that, if you listen to what they were writing, it had a darker yes. side to it. Yes, yes. Um, so I think that's very interesting certainly when I when I think about him but um, with my kind of woman it almost feels like if it wasn't this you know ridiculous gap tooth young man the the way sort of early 80s music videos were overlit and there was a very obvious air of artificiality it mm-hmm. feels like that do you know what I mean
3: yes 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 like if you
4: look at like Taco putting on the Ritz or things like that they're just starkly lit and um, you know it, it seems to kind of be uh, you know, in line with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
6: No, sweet,
3: the surface sounds a bit like a love song but that's really dark subject matter there you know he, he you know he declares he's going down and you, you sort of wonder really where his where his head is at
4: that's an interesting track there's a few um songs on the album named for women there's cheryl and there's annie right annie's an interesting track because it almost has this kind of underwatery psychedelic feel at times and it um it yes. some high notes in this and i i, I wrestle with who I think Annie is, is Annie a friend, a girlfriend? Is it his sister? The way he refers to daddy, not to say my daddy, but daddy won't let me. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder
3: about the, the context of relationship in that, which I think is something I see throughout the album. I hadn't actually sort of uh, thought of that, but yeah, yeah, that is that is open to interpretation. Uh, I, I know that your time is limited, so I, oh, well, last song I guess I wanted to make any reference to uh, we've we already sort of mentioned by name still together the uh, last song which has a uh, more of a folky singer-songwriter element on it and it's it's you know got this cool little almost reggae feel and he, he does this sort of a falsetto melody in the middle tell me did that sound like it was ripping off the line sleeps tonight to you
4: i'd never thought of that but it does seem in line with <laughs> with that statement it, it's funny because that's sort of like it is very different than the other songs on the album. It's, it's, um, it's not to say this stuff wasn't sweet. This stuff's more about longing and observation, but this feels very surface sweet acoustic. There's no greasy electric guitar. It's, it's simple yet effective. And it's in fact, very sort of deceptively simple, much like the lion sleeps tonight. So, yeah
3: so I mean look after listening to this and, and really I think we've probably spoken longer about the album than the album actually goes so it's only like a thing of 30 31 album. Album. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, like Michael Kiwanuka, I'm looking forward to see where he goes with this I mean we've already sort of got a bit of a taste today um, the uh, the post I put up, so what they call like a, a teaser. I'm sure it's not a track that's going to be on the album, but has, um, some naked guy. I'll, I'll put this up on the page. Uh, but it's some, some naked. guy gold it? if it's a naked guy. Oh man. Yeah. That's exactly where i are going to put it. Uh, guy, just a guitar covering him up and he's singing, um, in that in that Las Vegas disco-y type of sound singing about, it. got to get me some pussy, got to get me some pussy. Definitely very silver and golden. I, I wonder if he ever finds his cat. Kiki. So I, Kiki. Kiki.
4: <laughs> and a lot of his songs, is to really jump in, a lot of his songs have these kind of um, non-sequitur endings, which I, I kind of like. It, it gives it this lens of this air of uh, just, yeah, very bizarre kind of left field, which is cool.
3: So I want to know whether that ending... uh, on um, Still Together, do you think that's genuine? Or is is he playing with us again? You know, like, he's playing, he finished the song and he's saying, what are you doing up? What what, what happened? What are you doing? I I think, is that really recorded in his bedroom? Is that really, but, I, I, I think
4: know. it stems maybe from an original place it's tough to say and that's the thing I love about him is how much he revels in the awkward like is this like he'll he'll linger in the moment and and he lingers in that moment whether it was it stems from an original place or not it, it's certainly up for discussion but it makes it, it makes for interesting listening
3: oh well overall it's really a cool little album and uh, it, it... Doesn't outstay its welcome. I think he's got some great compositions on there. I guess probably the only minor criticism that I'd have is I'd like to see him sort of vary it up, maybe on the next album with his guitar sound. As much as I like it, sure. Uh, I, I guess maybe you know after a while you sort of think, well, wow, that there's that jangly sound again. I'd like to see him sort yeah. of mix it up a little bit more. But anyway, that'll uh, we'll see where he goes with that. That'll be album number three, I think, next time, won't it?
4: Yeah, he's only been making music for about five or six years, so I think it really indicates how talented he is. And I may have already said this, but in case I don't get the opportunity to, again, I hope everyone checks out both albums. But this album, it was my favorite album of last year. I listened to it front to back all the time. Nice. Really, really hope people check out Mac, because he's, uh, he's really
3: something. I think he'll be around for a long while. I, I really do. All right. Look, I think uh, that's pretty much um, uh, what we have to say about Mac. Uh, and I know that you have to start your working day. So... Uh, look, Basil. At this point, I just want to say thank you immensely for uh, joining me on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure, and um, I'm really looking forward to when we can do this again.
4: Absolutely, it really has been a pleasure, Morris. And it's been nice to talk about music because I feel like I don't get enough time to to look at music, which I love certainly, um, as critically as I'd like. It tends to be more as I'm moving around or as I'm doing something. Not certainly not white noise. I would never um, relegate it to that status, but. I don't get to really sit down and really listen to what I and toss around in my head. I think what what maybe the intent or the themes are sometimes. So this this um, uh, afforded me that opportunity. So thank you to you for that.
3: Oh well, I'll uh, I'll have to. So basically, if I keep inviting you on, I'll be doing you a favor. So I, I have to look yes. after you. Well, have to look after you. You do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'll just very quickly, a couple of housekeeping things. Uh, So, love that album, episode 58, will be out in a month. So, basically, yep, I'm I'm reducing the number of episodes that I do from now on, Uh, not because I'm getting lazy, but uh, if you've been reading the Facebook posts, you'd know that I've started up a second podcasting venture because then I've got all the spare time on my hands. Not, Uh, (laughs) But uh, uh, basically, uh, my good friends, Wendy and Tim, and I got together to do a bonus episode of uh, Silver and Gold late last year, covering a couple of music related films. And uh we had so much fun doing it we decided we'd keep doing that in our own right. So we've gone and started up a podcast called See Here. That's S-W-E-H-E-A-R. See Here podcast and every month we're going to, uh, cover one music related film and it can be a documentary. It can be a narrative. We, we just sort of thought you know, well, every, you know, there's a lot of great film podcasts, but there wasn't anyone who was tackling that specifically. So we thought, well, there you go. We've got a niche. Uh, episode one has been up for a couple of weeks and it was Tim's choice. We discussed Hated, the, uh, film about Gigi Allen, uh, the, uh, punk singer Ooh. and all around, uh, interesting fellow, I think is, you know, probably the polite way to call him. Uh, but we had a yeah. fascinating discussion about that. And
5: uh, see, the
3: other beautiful thing about discussing music related films is it exposes me to uh, music I might not otherwise listen to or artists I might not otherwise listen to. And I think for a music related film, you don't have to like the music. Just if, as long as there's an interesting story to tell. One thing you couldn't say about Gigi Allen is that he didn't have an interesting story. It's fascinating. The film is on really? YouTube, if you want to search it out, hated the uh, uh Gigi Allen and the Mur- murder junkies. It's not long, I think only about like a fifty five minute film. So um search that out there. And the next episode will be on sometime I think mid February. We'll be talking Wendy's Choice, which is, ladies and gentlemen, the fabulous Stains. Nice. Uh, so I haven't seen good that one. one. I haven't seen that one yet, but I've acquired it. So looking forward to talking about that in February. But the next episode of Love That Album. So we'll do. Well, so basically every couple of weeks we'll be see here, and then a couple of weeks Love That Album. So basically I'll still be involved in two podcasts a month, which is the good news if you like what I'm involved in. And the bad news is if you don't like it, is I'll be doing two podcasts a month. Um <laughs> the next yeah so yeah, I love that i episode fifty eight We'll finally see, hopefully, technical problems free, and we've sort of proven this over the, over the last few weeks. Jeff Smith will be returning, along with uh, John Stirrett from Sydney, and to celebrate the fact that Bruce Springsteen is coming back to uh, Australia. He, he's After spending years and years away, he's coming back twice within the space of a year to promote his uh, new album, uh, High Hopes. Uh, so we'll be discussing that. And... Normally, like the last few shows, we've been talking about albums in a fairly general sort of vein, but I think just for that show, we'll be doing on a song-by-song basis. We'll see how we go anyway. Uh, but we'll be talking about that uh, in a few weeks, and uh, Jeff, no doubt, will have something to say, because, um, well, actually, both Jeff and John will be seeing Bruce. This will be the first Springsteen tour of Australia. I'll be missing at that, that, those ridiculous prices, and the fact that last time, when I went to see him, I saw the wrong show, and he did all the Born in the USA material which I don't like I thought well I'm not taking a chance this time but I must say Tom Morello was outstanding and I guess he'd be worth it if I went but anyway never mind so Bruce Springsteen High Hopes will be discussed with the uh, the Bruce Springsteen Appreciation Club <laughs> I love that album so uh, listen out for that I think that's all. Uh oh, just about if you've been uh, enjoying the show or you, you want to find the show you can find uh, love that album on lovethatalbum.blogspot.com, love that album on iTunes, search for it there. Please let your friends know that we exist. I I love I love uh getting uh new listeners to the show partly cuz it Uh, does my ego some good knowing that someone is out there actually listening but you know just it's nice to be able to share with uh, potentially new people to speak to on the show always looking to have a new Potential conversationalists who'll put me onto uh, new great music and stuff that uh, we can, we can share. It's always good in that regard. So please let people out there know that uh, a podcast discussing about music actually exists. And uh, also a big shout out to uh, another great music podcast is they've only released episode zero, but they'll be recording hopefully in the next few days is uh, our good friend. John Ross, he of the Feed My Ears Facebook page. Feed My Ears is now a podcast. Uh, So between John, uh, Nathan and Jeff, they've uh, done an episode zero getting to know you sort of thing. Give a lot of support to to John and his Feed My Ears podcast because we need more music podcasts out there. And uh, the first episode that they put out was very, very entertaining. So I think that pretty much covers it. I'll let you uh, go to work, sir.
4: Thank you. And I do want to wish Mauricio Garini of Goblin fame a very, very happy 59th birthday.
3: Oh, wow. Wow. I did not know that. Fantastic. Uh, He lives uh,
4: about 45 minutes from me.
3: Um, oh, you're, Richmond, gonna knock, you're gonna you're gonna knock Northern him, gonna knock on his door and uh give him a birthday cake.
4: Yeah, I would love to, but they're touring, which is good, which is a good thing. I had a chance to see them in the in the fall with dear friend Chris Brown, the young cool cat. So, oh man, yeah, other than
3: that. Uh, you'll have you'll have a, oh, have a man, great time. It's... I got got to see them back in July here. Oh, and, oh I did.
4: Yeah, I did see them in in October.
3: all oh, right right. Yep. Yeah. So it was a good show. Oh, it was it, yeah. was it was fantastic getting to see all the film clips in the background. It was just it was it was brilliant. And just I guess is one more quick word. I, I um uh listened to, in the last week, the, uh, an older episode of The Projection Booth, which I think is an absolute stellar podcast, and they uh, oh, sure did, did a, an episode on uh, Deep Red. They had a, an interview with uh, Claudio Simonetti, uh, talking about his recollections of recording the music for, for uh, Deep Red and for Dario Argento in general and he's just a wonderful guy to listen to. He was, he was absolutely fascinating. So, obviously, if you're an Argento fan, you want to listen to uh, that episode, but if you're a particularly a Goblin fan, then uh, download that and hear what uh, Claudio has to say. Anyway, I'll let you get to work, sir. Thanks very much for uh, joining me on Love That Album, and uh, thank you listeners out there for uh, uh, downloading. and We'll be back uh, in a few weeks with uh, Love That Album 58, and back in a uh, shorter time with uh, the See Here podcast. Uh, until then, Um, stay nice to each other listen to some great music read some good books lots of watch watch lots of great films and um, we'll speak to you soon cheers
0: it's nfl draft season and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football